Um, first, before we get started, our charitable giving person couldn't make it in today, so I'm going to be your charitable giving person. Thank you for donating. Thank you for prioritizing your spiritual journey. Thank you for prioritizing other people's spiritual journeys. Often the money that we donate is partly for us and a lot for other people. So on behalf of all the people who are inspired to make their worlds a better place through Friend Church, I want to say thanks to everyone who donates. And if you don't, um, I'm on multimedia today, and since I'm standing up here, currently it's not being worked on, so friendchurch.ca slash donate, or I don't know, go to our website, and I'm sure you can figure it out, you're smart people. Okay, um, I was listening to a podcast, Lex Friedman. Anyone follow the Lex Friedman podcast? Anyone that geeky? Thank you, geeky people. If you don't, you should. Um, he was interviewing a guy named Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray is this guy who does history. And so they're talking kind of Marxism and left and right. It was beautiful. And at the end, he said to, Lex said to Douglas Friedman, he said, is there anything you want to add? And in this weird moment, because I don't follow Douglas Murray, I find out he's gay, which means nothing, right? Because he's talking about history and his sexual orientation and his area of expertise don't really matter to each other, do they? But then he says something. He says, you know what? I don't really talk about my personal life in public. But he says, every person who loves somebody of their own gender, chances are their first moment of love is unrequited. They're young and they have a friend and the friend is this amazing friend and then they realize the friend is more than a friend. But the friend doesn't necessarily like you that way. He says the first moment for most same-sex sexuality is hurt and pain and rejection. And is mostly a straight person, or at least identify as pansexual with a very, very, very strong female bias. Something about that line got me. Did anyone, was anyone able to listen to the interview I did last week with Ken and Sean? Ken and Sean are a couple in our community. Figured out fairly early that they were gay. And they were in conservative churches. And this church basically said, look, if you want to be who you are, we're going to shame you, we're going to kick you out, we're going to ostracize you. Ken said one moment he was the golden child, and in one moment, everyone turned on him. And that hit me. Both Ken and Sean said, this isn't something small. For Ken, he's like, you know what? It got so bad that I was being torn apart by my spirituality and my church and my sexuality. It was so bad, I believed in this idea of hell where we would go and burn for eternity if we did bad things. That's what he believed at the time. And he said, if I'm gay, I'm going to hell. If I kill myself, I'm going to hell. But if I kill myself... I don't have to feel torn apart anymore. I realized this topic isn't just academic. 
This isn't about biblical interpretation. I use the word clobber passage. I realize that nobody, unless you're a geek like me and study the Bible for a living like me, you probably don't know what that word means. Clobber passage. Actually, Dave's like, Vince, what's that word you keep saying? I don't understand, which should include me in that it's not a common word. Sorry, Dave. Missed that one. <laughs> a clobber passage is you take a section from the Bible and then you beat somebody with it. Whack. So think of like big, heavy Bible and like clobbering people with the Bible. The Bible says X, therefore you are bad. The Bible says X, therefore you are this. The Bible says whatever, therefore you are, and I can treat you like this. So today, in a way that we tend to not normally do, we're going to go deep into the Bible. Because these passages have been used to hurt people. Now, before I get going, let me just say, whatever your view is on same-sex sexuality, you're welcome here. You can be pro, you can be anti. But we have a rule. At Friend Church, you love. Everybody is welcome. We don't be like, okay, only the cool people are welcome. Only the people who believe this are welcome. Everybody is welcome. But we treat each other with love. So there is no clobbering at Friend Church. You can agree to disagree. I say that all the time. Well, actually, no, I don't. If I go, I'm not on social media, but if somebody comes up to me and uses a clobber passage and like tries to clobber me on same-sex issues, I am educated enough that I rip them a new one. (laughs) No, 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 no. You should all be going, Clausen, shame on you. Where the hell's the love, buddy? Come on. Because I'm not a very nice person sometimes. So don't do what I do. Do what I say. But I get it, right? There's... There's emotion here. There's energy here. I have a strong bias. I have a strong pro-same-sex bias. You'll see in how I read these texts. You'll see it in everything. But my goal here is for you all to have the same experience. I was talking to people along the way getting ready for this and saying, when someone posts something online that says, the Bible says you are bad because of your sexuality, what do you do? And to the person, here's what they did. They turtled. They're like, I don't know. Maybe that's right. Maybe I am bad. Maybe I'm a sinner. Maybe I am going to hell. Maybe all these things, right? These scripts come up in their head. And I'm going, no, 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 no. You don't need to feel that way. You can hold your head up high, loving whoever you want and say, there is a valid interpretation of every freaking part of that Bible that says, I am as loved as you are. I am as healthy and beautiful and created as you are. There's no more need to go, oh, I'm gay, so I'm going to hide that or I'm just not going to, I'll just ignore that part of the you know, conversation. I don't want it. No, no, I want you to be able to stand with your head held high. Again, if you're anti-same-sex, I don't want us to be locked in. Locked in is my definition of every verse in the Bible has multiple valid interpretations. Everyone. Even my wife, who's tricky, was like, what about, and Jesus wept, Vince. I was like, yeah, but really, what does wept mean? (laughs) I once had a counselor. She's like, hey, Vince, you ever cry? I'm like, I'm crying right now. She's like, "Uh, no, you're not crying right now. I'm like, yes, I am crying right now. Who was right, me or the counselor? I was weeping, but no tears were coming out. My face was completely flat. She was like, yeah, that's not, that doesn't count. Sorry, buddy. 
Multiple valid interpretations. Locked in is when you say my interpretation that is valid is the only one. That I want us to be very careful with. So wherever your bias takes you, pro, against, I'm comfortable with. But let's not be locked in. Okay, let's get to the Bible. Do the first clobber passage. If you are in any part of this conversation at all, this is the first verse that you're going to see. Can you throw it up for me, Yannick? The one from Romans? It says this. I'm going to give you some context, but I'm just going to read it for you. For this reason, God gave them up to their lusts. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, and in the same way, also the men, giving up natural intercourse with women, were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own person due penalty for their error. That's pretty clear, huh? Allow me to add what some of you might be thinking right now. Yana, can you just hit the next slide for me? For this reason, men gave up their degrading passions. Their women exchanged natural intercourse for unnatural, meaning sex with other women. Text doesn't say that. If you're thinking it, you've added it into the text. In fact, just leave it up for a bit, Yannick. This is the only text in the entire Bible, and that sucker's thick. There's a lot of stuff in there. This is the only text that even references women in same-sex sexuality. The only one. You got one. And it says this. Women exchange natural intercourse for unnatural. Does unnatural mean same-sex? If you're anti-same-sex, you can make it mean that. But there's nothing in that word that suggests that this is what's going on. In fact, the first interpreters of this word, they saw unnatural as non-procreative. So if any of you women out there are having sex for fun, nah, no more having fun sex. This is only procreative sex. They didn't have pills and birth control back in those days. This is the only verse in the entire Bible that even has mild reference or can be interpreted through a bias of anti-same-sex relationships for two women. And you have to assume that that word unnatural means sex with other women. That's it. See all you women who love women? You guys are good to go. This is the end of the whole thing for you. That's, the whole thing is based on that, seriously. So next time someone says the Bible's clear, try not to guffaw. Try not to rip them a new one. But you now know it's, oh, you're interpreting unnatural as meaning same sex. Ah, gotcha. And you're thinking that's clear? How about we agree to disagree? Okay, women, put you aside for a second. That's it. And actually, I'm going to take this in a different direction at the end. I'm going to come back and reference that because I think what this word unnatural means is something very, very different. Next one. Can you throw it up for me, Yannick, again? In the same way, also men giving up natural intercourse with women were consumed with passion, consumed with passion for one another. This isn't just a moment of lust. This is even committed relationships where men are having sex with each other. See how I just added that part? Just ignore consumed with lust and assume that anytime they have sex, two men have sex together, it's consumed with lust and therefore it's bad. Does the text say that? Nuh-uh. 
Here's my favorite one. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own person the due penalty for their error. Anyone remember AIDS and people saying, oh, AIDS is for God's punishment for men having sex with men. Does it say that? We added it. Now, let me just say, if you're anti-same sex, you can add all that stuff into that verse. You can do that. But you need to add that stuff into that verse. You need to assume that's what the text means before you actually read it. The text really says this. Paul is saying, the, the person who wrote his name is Paul. He's essentially saying, okay, we've seen uncontrolled lust, right? We've seen where that gets us, right? And then he lists a bunch of things as kind of an example of like, you've all seen this. We've seen instances of this in our past, and we're all in agreement, right? Unrestrained lust, not good. Have you ever wondered what he's referring to? This is the part where you all read the Bible a lot, and you all nod and be like, yeah, Vince, I've really thought about that. Last time I studied this, that was really, I could not get through that one. So I want to just set the stage. This is Paul writing to a church in Rome. It's very important. We call it the book of Romans because he's writing to a church in Rome. Now, in Rome, 15 years before when we think this, Bible, or this book is written, there was an emperor in Rome who was not a nice person. I always get his name wrong, so I'm going to read it. Gaius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. Anyone know Gaius Caesar just Germanicus? You might know him by his nickname, Caligula. Anyone know that name? Caligula was an a-hole. He didn't start that way. Again, remember, Romans is written by Paul 15 years after what I'm going to tell you now. The emperor of Rome, where Paul is writing the letter to, the emperor of Rome, I'm going to tell you the, the, the emperor that was there, his name is Caligula, and here's what he did. Caligula was, started off as kind of a good emperor. He's pretty good. He started building roads and supporting the people, and then he got sick, and he just about died and recovered. We don't know what happened there, but something went sideways. He started for entertaining. He would create these pits, Colosseums, you know these. And he would throw slaves into the Colosseum pit and then he would release live animals, wild animals. And then everyone would watch them be consumed by wild animals. Does that seem like a healthy thing? But culturally, this is still kind of okay. He's still an emperor that is behaving in a way that culturally makes sense with slaves because in their day, you can treat a slave however you want. Very important to know this. If, someone, if you own someone, you can throw them into a pit and have a dog eat them for your amusement. But that's not enough for Caligula because one day they ran out of slaves. Well, now he's bored. So what does a bored emperor like Caligula do when he's run out of slaves? He got his guards to take the first row of Romans, his people, shoved them over the edge of the Colosseum and had them eaten by wild animals, so he was entertained. Not a nice man. But that's not why I'm telling you about Caligula. I want to tell you about Caligula's sexuality. 
You see, uh, the historian Sintonius says this. He says, Caligula lived in ancestral relationships with his sisters, plural. Remember I told you to pay attention to that word unnatural? He regularly had sex with his sisters. Now, there's a line that Santonius says. He says he would have a dinner party. Caligula would have a dinner party where his sister would be under the table and his wife would be reclining above the table. You understand the reference? Doesn't end there. Caligula would show up to invite people to dinner parties and all of a sudden he would want to take one of the people He would take a woman of a couple. He would take her next door, rape her, because he felt like it. Can we say unrestrained lust? He would rape her, then he would come back to the husband and talk about how he felt the person's wife was as a lover. If he felt she didn't hold up, he would divorce them on the spot. Unrestrained lust run amok. Whatever he wanted, he took. Man, woman, both, it didn't matter. He had a string of male lovers. One of them, he had a male lover, and then he had the lover beheaded. And then he had another lover, and then he decided that homosexuality was bad, and so he imprisoned him. Whatever Caligula wanted to do, Caligula did. Whatever. He would show up to weddings. He'd be invited to a wedding. And just before the ceremony, he would take the bride and rape her. When you hear Paul write a letter to the church in Rome, do you think that maybe they're thinking about 15 years ago when they saw a lust run amok? A man who would do whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted, man or woman. Now, if you want to ignore this, all you need to say is, Vince, Paul's not talking about Caligula. Okay. But as I read this, I'm going, Paul is referring to an event that they know about. And this one seems pretty clear. Let me show you the last piece of the puzzle. Three years into his reign, they finally kill him. They kill Caligula. Like, seriously, we should have maybe done that earlier. Caligula's walking through a, a tunnel into a theater and some men jump out. And one of the men, or men who jumps out, the one who one historian says, take the first shot, cut him in the neck. He was a straight man who Caligula tried to seduce and shame his entire life in front of everybody. He would make passwords, like, you know, the gate password, you know the password? Yeah, you know, sheepdog. Okay, you can come in. He would use Uh, homosexual references for a straight man and force him to say it in public to try and shame him. Not because homosexuality is bad, but because Caligula did whatever Caligula wanted to whomever he wanted. The men who killed Caligula, Santonius says, they stabbed him 30 times. And then he has this little phrase that's really strange. He says, and some of them stabbed Caligula in the genitals. The very place where so much pain and suffering had come from. They received in them penalty for their behavior. 
Does that not sound like the penalty for the behavior of Caligula? A man who raped his way through men and women. And in the end, the people said, I'm going to stab you right where you created so much hurt. Fifteen years after this event, Paul writes to the church in Rome where Caligula was and says, we know what unrestrained lust looks like. And we can all agree it's not good, right? Right. I don't think anyone looks at Caligula and says, oh, that's a life well lived. I don't think anyone looks at Caligula and sees homosexuality, a loving homosexual relationship. I think what we all see is lust run amok. Now again, if you want to argue this the other way, all you need to say is, Paul's not talking about Caligula. Paul's not talking about an event that they all know. He's normalizing this. He's not saying, here's a series of things we know are bad. No, no, he's saying, these things are bad for everyone in all times. So, if that's your bias, that's how you do it. But as I studied this again this time, and I started reading the life of Caligula, I'm going, holy crap. That sounds amazingly similar. Next time someone says to me, hey, that letter to Romans where Paul says, you know, homosexuality is bad. We're going to have to agree to disagree. Because I don't think he's talking about homosexuality as we understand it. I think he might be referring to Caligula. I think we're all pretty comfortable saying Caligula's life, not awesome. As I studied this and I heard about Caligula, I thought, oh, that's really fascinating. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because when you guys were studying it, you thought the same thing, right? How do we resolve that? Now you know. But there's something much more troubling that I came across. Something that, oh, I can feel it. (laughs) I wish I had Jeff's open limbic system. You guys could feel it off of me. I get a sick feeling inside. I'm going to come back to the Roman section once more in another one, but can, can you bring up the one from Leviticus? Another clobber passage. This is one that's often said to be the most clear. Do not practice homosexuality. Having sex with another man as with a woman is detestable. Okay, we're clear. This is not talking about women. Y'all are good to go. But men, as with women, and I can tell you all the verses around here that talk about polycotton shirts are bad and sinful. I can tell you all of that, but that's not where I want to go today. I want to tell you another story that I think starts to make sense. It's a valid reading. It's not the only reading, but it's a valid reading that says, why is it that the Bible constantly talks about male same-sex relationships and seems to not give her care in the world for females? Why is that? Why in the six passages we have in the Bible, and that's all the clobber passages we got, why do they care so much about male same-sex sexuality? And to do it, I need to tell you 
probably one of the two most horrific stories. I don't do trigger warnings. I think they're BS. I think we're all adults here. But this one is particularly effed up. So just be warned, okay? Can you throw up? Uh, sorry, not quite yet, Yannick. It's a story about a guy named Lot. He lives in a town called Sodom. As soon as I say the word Sodom, your brain instantly goes to the English word sodomite. He lives in Sodom. Two strangers show up. In classic biblical times, it starts off by saying two men show up. And then at some point, it switches them to angels. But don't think angels from TV and from, you know, with wings and halos and stuff like that. Think these are important people for their story of the divine. They show up in town. Lot says, come to my house. He follows along the lines of what's called Bedouin uh, hospitality culture. Somehow, out of nowhere, the entire town of men, it says young and old, all of them, show up outside of Lot's house and say, give us the strangers. We want to know them. To know somebody biblically means you want to have sex with them. Now, if your brain is going, two beautiful angelic beings showed up, and the entire town is gay, and they all showed up because they've fallen deeply and madly in love with these two angels, you would be wrong. The text deliberately says, every man. This is not a gay commune. This is every man. They want to rape the two men. How dare you come to our town? Think prison. That's what this is. Think prison. You came into my territory. I will put you in your place. This is not gay men being attracted to other men. This is men raping men to put them into their place. You are less than. And I will do it in a way that culturally says, I will break you. I will show you as less than this. Not just kick you out of town. I will destroy you. Lot comes out and says, no, 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 no. Do not do this. This is not right. Can you throw up the line for me, Yannick? (sighs) Do not do this wicked thing is raping the men. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you. And you can do with them as you wish. It's stories like that that make me go, screw this Bible crap. Here's a a Bible verse, and there's two stories that are almost dead the same. Both of them do the same thing. Some character in the text thinks that male sexuality is more valuable than female sexuality. A man says, I will give you my daughters to rape so that these men won't be raped. Now, culturally, that makes sense to them. Their gender hierarchy is such that male sexuality is at the top and female sexuality is at the dead bottom. And you will give a woman to avoid a man being raped. Is anyone as freaking uncomfortable with this as I am? I'm trying to be loving, I'm trying to be open, but that is effed up. 
I don't see homosexuality here. What I see is a gender hierarchy where somehow male sexuality and being more than female sexuality is the point. Let's flip it back to the Roman section. You don't need to throw it up, Yannick. Women giving up unnatural or natural sex for unnatural. When we look at through the gender hierarchy, what we see is maybe what he's referencing here is women on top. Men playing the, and I'm going to air quote this, female role sexually. That's interesting, isn't it? Are they even talking about same-sex relationships? Or are they talking about a, a, a situation where a man would play what they consider a lesser role in society? And perish the thought that someone is raped and forced into that. But let's go one more. Can you throw me up the Corinthians one? Paul, referencing again. Um, do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes. Shitty translation. Pardon my French. The word is soft ones or effeminate. In very, very, very minor cases, it means the younger party of a pederastic relationship. In Roman culture, older men would have prepubescent boys and they would have sex with them. And the boys would get social status and the men would get, I don't actually know. We call that something different now. That is completely against the law. But in those days, that made sense. Now and again, you can reference that prepubescent boy in that word, soft one. But most often what it means is effeminate. A man playing a female role in life, in behavior, in culture. How much of same-sex language in the Bible do you think is actually a, gen a culture of gender hierarchy where it says men are at the top and women are at the bottom and any man who dares behave like a woman, you notice how it often talks about same-sex sexuality? You can just say two men having sex. We all get what's going on. But he says having sex as with a woman. The reference is one of the parties is behaving as a woman. A man doing that upsets the gender hierarchy. And when I started to see through the Lot story going, here is a man and here is a Bible who thought this story was worth keeping around where a man's sexuality was more important than a female's sexuality. Suddenly, every same-sex relationship text in the Bible, every clobber passage, I suddenly realized, wait a second, this isn't about the gender of the parties. This is about some guy undermining our role as the top of the gender hierarchy. How dare he? How dare he let a woman be on top? And suddenly I was like, ah! I'm in my office just like, ah! I don't think the gender hierarchy is worth supporting, just like slavery is not supporting. The Bible's pro-slavery. I am not. I don't think you all are either. The Bible is against you wearing polycotton shirts. 
I don't give a crap about that. Do you? No, I don't think so. I think this whole thing around same-sex sexuality, men acting, undermining the gender hierarchy and acting as those malakos, the, the, the effeminate, the soft one, the one underneath. To me, that's a cultural artifact that we need to throw out. We read it just like when we read slavery, we're like, okay, that was effed up. This one, effed up. Now, if you are anti-same-sex sexuality, here's what you do. You say, Vince, you're full of crap. (laughs) This has nothing to do with gender hierarchy. This is clear. And yet, every reference is for male same-sex sexuality in a way that one party has to act as the soft one, either forced or by choice, or, as we would say, by sexual orientation. All y'all straight couples out there, if you're having sex with a woman on top, and that works for y'all, more power to you. All you same-sex couples out there, if one of you's on top, the other one's on the bottom, more power to you. Whatever works. I showed you that one of the main clobber passages, the one that's used most often, doesn't even seem to be referring to women's same-sex sexuality. The Bible just doesn't seem to care. Again, unless you assume unnatural means same sex. There's a funny word. Um, the word pornea, so the word porn comes from the Greek word pornea, which means unlawful sexuality. You know the nice thing about unlawful sexuality? Anything you don't like, you just say is unlawful, and then it fits under pornea. Premarital sex, that's what the church did. Well, that's unlawful. Pornea. See, the Bible speaks against it. Really? Unnatural can mean anything. If you assume it means same sex, then yeah, you can assume it means that. It's, there's nothing in it that needs to assume that. So y'all women, already you're off. Except if you're a woman in any sort of relationship where you're on top, in which case you're undermining the gender hierarchy. All you straight people out there, you watch it. No having sex for fun anymore. Come on. I showed you the life of Caligula. Beautifully matches 15 years later of of Paul saying, hey, look, we've seen rust lust run amok we've seen what that happens we've seen how that plays out don't do it could he be referring to Caligula I think so you don't need to assume that but man he received they received in themselves the punishment for their behavior he was stabbed in the genitals I went back to same-sex language in Leviticus where it says men should not have sex with men as, with wi- or as a woman. I showed you the Lot story with the horrific, the horrific tale of a dad saying, I'm going to protect you, my guests, by get, not by saying, look, over my dead body you're coming at these people. No, he thinks that it's okay to send his virgin daughters out to be raped. I don't see same-sex sexuality there at all. I see a gender hierarchy that I think we need to culturally throw away. 
Again, you can ignore what I'm saying. Totally fine. You're welcome here. We have a rule. We love each other. That's why when you applauded when I said I rip a new one, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not very loving. <laughs> I'm being a bit of an ass. I apologize. But it, <clears throat> I want to end with this last piece. Jesus never speaks about same-sex sexuality. There's one reference in kind of this obscure way. It would probably be closer to what we would call trans or people who are non-binary, maybe. Really tricky topic. But Jesus doesn't seem to give a crap. But he does say this. You want to know what people are like? You want to judge them? First he says, don't judge. You have a speck in your eye. Don't try and get the speck out of someone's eye when you have a log in your own. So first, don't judge. So, but he says this. You'll know people's value, their spirituality, who they are by their fruit. By the fruit of their life. When I saw Sean and Ken up here, and Sean starts saying, I never got a chance to tell my grandfather, the one person in my life, in my family, who would be okay with my sexuality. I never got, he died before I could tell him, before I could come out to him. And Sean's just gutted. And Ken reaches over and puts his arm around Sean, and we're all just bawling our eyes out. The fruit. I see straight couples who are horrific to each other. Horrific. I see the legacy of that through their children and their children's children. And we go, no, no, no. Because the gender is right there, that's what's valuable. No, who cares? What's the fruit? What's the fruit of my life and in my relationship with my wife? It's not that I got the gender lottery because I'm straight. Yay, nice. We will know them by their fruit. We will know us by their fruit. I'm telling you, if you're at Friends Church, I don't care what gender you are. Couldn't give two. Well, actually, I want to know so I use the right pronoun. That's all I care about. I care about your fruit. People will send me emails. I'm gay. Can I come to your church? And I'm like... (laughs) That's nice. Thanks for telling me your sexual orientation. Yeah, you're welcome. And then I get a second email. Yes, but I'm having sex with my partner. I'm like, okay, a little bit of oversharing, but whatever. My question is, is it good sex? And they're going, but my partner's a man. And I'm like, yeah, same question. What's the fruit? Are you guys creating this amazing relationship together? That's what I care about. I think that's worth us caring about. As we walk through our world and we see this issue coming up again, we just heard one in Canmore, one where you're going, whoa, where did that come from? Who, who is this person? The fruit's not good, but you know what? Me being an ass to them is also not good. We are a community who has diverse views, diverse values. That's part of who we are. But we love. And we love people who are different than us. If you're pro-same sexuality and someone in your family, you know that person at the family gathering brings up the clobber passage and says, yeah, but what about Romans? The Bible's clear. It's against homosexuality. We're gonna have to agree to disagree. 
clear? Really? Let's move on. Any of you who are, have same-sex sexuality, gay, lesbian, bisexual, I want you to know that you can stand with your head held high knowing that the, there's an interpretation, a valid interpretation of the Bible that says there is nothing wrong with you. You are created in whatever sense you understand that word. You are loved in whatever sense you understand that word. You don't need to hide from people who think the Bible is clear. It's not. You've seen it. And if you're feeling a little spicy that day, maybe bring up the Lot story and say, um, can you explain the whole throwing the daughters in to be raped thing? Because once you can do that, then I'll listen to everything else you say. But do it with love in your heart, can you? People, I hope we have a conversation in a couple years where this is no longer an issue. Where your sexual orientation doesn't matter here. At French Church, you can be anything. We've had pastors who are gay, board chairmen who are gay, you name it. It just doesn't matter to us. I would like a world that would have that much love in it as well. Amen? Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the long week, and we'll see you next week.